Well, hello, everybody, and I hope you are ready to start the exciting study of Acts. So, do you have your Bible? Um, lift it up. Say, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's Word. I believe every word is true, and it is all that I need. You need to have that cemented before you even open it so that you are willing to hear Him speak when He talks to you because this is what our Bible is. It's listening to Him give us our instruction, our promises, our the commands that He has for us. And so I just want to make sure that you are in tip-top shape, ready to receive his word. And even though you might have studied Acts before, it is, it's, there's going to be a fresh new word, okay? So would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity to be able to open our Bibles. And, and we're grateful for our country that we um, have the freedom to be able to study and to and to wear your name, to be able to to worship our Savior. And, and Lord, we know that we have many problems here, but Lord, may we really see that as long as we can serve and worship you, we are blessed. And so, Father, pray that our ears and our hearts will be open, that, that we will allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. Because this studying is so much more than just reading. When we study, we are willing to let your Holy Spirit take the words that are on the page and make them life to us. So we give you praise. We worship you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, as we start the book of Acts, we, we need a little prelim. We need, we need to kind of brush up on who wrote this, who wrote the book, and why. Now, it kind of tells us, but, but yet I'm going to go back to Luke's gospel. See, Luke wrote Acts, and he wrote, of course, his gospel. Now, that's kind of unique because Luke is not a Jew, and he is not a disciple of Jesus. He was, well, he, he ends up being, but he was not one of the 12 that followed him. And, and he wasn't a product of Jesus' ministry. He was a product of the Apostle Paul's ministry, who, of course, took Jesus um, at his word and needed to get knocked off um, his, his donkey, so to speak. And we're going to get to his conversion. But I just want you to, to make sure you know who wrote the book of Acts. But listen, as I read the first few verses of the Gospel of Luke, being that he is not a Jew, he was not there with Jesus at that particular time, like one of the 12, and yet he has got a handle on details like no other Gospel. I mean, I mean, you think of Matthew and John being being right there with Jesus all the time, and and Matthew wrote uh, with with one angle in mind. John wrote the gospel, the story of Jesus, with another angle in mind. But then you have Luke, Doctor Luke. He was a medical doctor. He was Paul's doctor. In fact, in Colossians chapter four, um, Paul. Um, at the end of that book, he is kind of saying thank you to all of his his team, and he mentions my friend, 
the dear doctor Luke. And you think, well, why did Paul need a doctor? Well, I suppose when you get beat up and you get shipwrecked and you get, you get, um, you know, left for dead. And, and when you think of all what Paul went through, I would dear, I would say that the Lord was so gracious and saw to it that he put the right person at the right place at the right time. And Dr. Luke was that. And then, of course, Dr. Luke then heard the gospel through Paul and, and got saved. And then he, um, he grows in the Lord. He, his life is changed. And he wants, to, he wants to tell the story to his friend, Theophilus. And so he, when he writes Luke the gospel, remember, he wasn't there and so how did he know all these details? And so he had to research. He had to, he had to talk to people. He probably did many interviews. And, and one of the main people that is believed to be the one that gave Luke so much information was Jesus' mother, Mary. Because as a doctor, he was really interested in miracles and especially the the birth of Jesus and so um he he's the one that records the birth of Jesus in such detail and who would have known who would have known about that birth more than Mary and who would have known that she pondered much in her heart if, if she hadn't been the one to tell Luke that. She knew that she pondered, and that means I didn't talk about it, I just thought about it. And so who would have known more than Mary that she pondered certain things, and, and, yet, and yet Luke writes that. So he must have gotten some information. Some of his interviews were with people like, Jesus mom. So to me that just personalizes this and he wanted to know details. I mean you talk about hunger and thirst for wanting to know more. Once you get to know your savior you want to know more. And so he he searched and researched and he he really put forth the time. And why? Because he wanted to make sure he had it totally straight for his friend. And so listen to this. Luke 1, many have, uh, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So somehow Theophilus was um, a very, well, most Excellent Theophilus shows that he probably had some kind of power. He had some kind of position. Um, he was respected. And Luke, maybe, maybe Luke was his doctor. 
who knows but but he he cared enough for Theophilus that he researched and investigated so that he could get the details right and so he obviously um in, he he went to people that had been there had heard had seen and so now as we flip to Acts chapter 1 now you hear these words from Luke it's like well, I'll read them and it will explain it. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he, has, he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to his apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. So, I stop here a minute because doesn't that all sound like research and investigation because he had done that in the gospel. Now he's taken it further because now the disciples have turned into apostles. And this is where it gets personal. And this, is, this was my plan that we would spend two years in the gospels that, that we did Matthew word for word, and then we did John word for word, and we developed a relationship with Jesus. We got to know him, the Son of God, and also the Son of Man. Jesus in the Gospels taught us not only how to be saved, but how to live in this world the way he wants us to live. And he gave us such instruction, such great instruction. But you have to keep studying it. You have to keep going over it and over it. I heard one time that Billy Graham, he, they asked him how, what he studied in his personal devotions and that. And he said, well, I always make sure that I study a gospel. I'm always studying gospels because I want to keep remembering and knowing more about Jesus. He says, but I always make sure that I stay daily in the book of Acts. Because as I, as I learn who Jesus is, now I'm responsible to live it out. Not just take it in for myself. But we, it's kind of like we are, we are disciples for, we are disciples for a time. We are followers of Christ. But then he expects his followers to be sent out so that we then live it and, and teach it and share it. Because people need to know that's how they hear is through us. You know, I remember Paul saying in, in the book of Romans, how can you expect someone to believe if they don't know what to believe in and how they're going to know what to believe in unless they're hearing and how they're going to hear unless you and I are willing to tell them. And so this is what I'm sure we're seeing as a such an example why it's in the inspired word of God because personally I don't think Luke ever imagined that his letters in his investigation and his discoveries and I don't think he ever expected it that we would be studying it today 
But the Lord saw Luke's heart. He saw his desire to bring the gospel to his friend Theophilus. And he would do whatever it took so that Theophilus would be able to understand the love of Jesus. And so this is why I think it is personal that we too develop such a love relationship with Jesus. And, and when you're in love with someone, you want to talk to them all the time. You want to be with them all the time. You want to talk to people about them all the time. You can't be still. It's just something that oozes, just just bubbles out of your heart and then out of your mouth because you're so, you're just, you just love them so much. And, and this is what I feel without being so over dramatic here, but I think that this is the way Luke felt toward Theophilus. He wanted Theophilus to know Jesus the way he did. And so he wanted to make sure he gave him the right information. And because it was so right on and so correct, God saw to it that, that his books were put in the infallible the, the absolutely every word is true book so we can study it and learn from it. And so he, he found out that after Jesus died and then rose and he appeared to his, his disciples, there was much proof that Jesus had, had um, come back to life. And then he said he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And then on one occasion... So someone, someone told, and it had to have been one of those 11 who were standing there when Jesus ascended. And he, or it had to be in that, that special group, that, that group of 120 or, or what, the, the intimate followers of Jesus, whoever, maybe it was even Mary, who said that on one occasion, Jesus said to us while he was eating. Now, isn't that kind of exciting? I mean, that Jesus is in his new glorified body and yet he's eating. Now, he doesn't have to eat for sustenance because his body is perfect. To me, this is such an example of what heaven is going to be like. That we're not going to need to eat because we need the food, but we're going to be eating because it's just so fun to eat and it's such great fellowship with each other. And that's what people do, you know, you eat together, you fellowship, you talk, you share, and it's just such a good time to be together. And that was important to Jesus. And you're going to see that again later in this chapter. Being together is important. It's like what God said at creation when he made man. It is not good that he be alone. So we weren't even created. Before the fall, we weren't created to be alone. We were created to be together. And so whoever told Luke that on one occasion while they were eating, Jesus said to that particular group, do not do not, I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Oh, don't like that word, do you? Wait. You know, I'm sure that, that this bunch probably was ready to get going. They were ready to go. 
And Jesus said, no, my timing is perfect. And I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait. I know waiting isn't fun. And I always thought it was a big old waste of time. But you know what? God does great things in our wait. He knows that, that his timing is perfect and we need to either learn or experience or whatever. But we have to learn that waiting is a part of our spiritual growth. Are we learning how to wait on the Lord? But he said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. See, the gift. He's talking about the Holy Spirit and they're going to remember because back in the Gospel of John, Jesus told them when they were so fearful about Jesus leaving, Jesus made sure in John 14 and 15, he made sure that they knew that, yes, he was going to leave them in the form of the way he was now but he wouldn't just leave them. He would send his very spirit to live within them because he's got different plans for them now. And every one of them going in a different direction need him because we can't, you and I, we, we can't do it without him. So he had to change the form so that we could have the Holy Spirit. You could have him. I could have him. Because we can't do it without him. So he said, Don't do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized. Now he's talking about John the Baptist, not the apostle. He's talking about John the Baptist. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you are like me, that phrase sometimes is spooky, baptized with the Holy Spirit, because unfortunately, there, there was a certain religious sect that kind of took that phrase and, and, and made it scary and made it um, strange and almost made it that, that it was, um, if you didn't have a particular baptism of the Holy Spirit moment, then, and that had nothing to do with your salvation, this was altogether different, then, then you didn't measure up. You didn't quite have it. But I want you to know that the way things have, have happened and evolved, even though, yes, Jesus left and then the Father promised, Jesus talked about it, that there was a second, Pentecost was a second moment, and then, then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But we're on this side of Pentecost and the Apostle Paul has been very clear about when we receive, when we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. You and I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul, he says it in Ephesians 1.13. He talks about you, you hear the gospel, you receive the gospel, and then you are then given the gift of his Holy Spirit. So on the second of your salvation, we then are filled with his spirit. Now, unfortunately, 
because we are human, sinful human beings, we leak. We leak the Holy Spirit. We're filled, but then because self wants to get in the way all the time, then we have a tendency to, to let the Holy Spirit not leak out, but we leak him from sitting with complete control on the throne of our life. But self gets up there. So this is what learning how to, how to not, not receive the Holy Spirit because we were given that gift on the day of our salvation. But now we have to learn how to work him, how to release him, how to let him loose in our lives so that we are willing to put ourself aside and let the Holy Spirit help make decisions, help, help um, control our mouth, um, help us love the unlovable. These are all things we can't do on our own. That's why we were given that gift of the Holy Spirit. So I just wanted to get that straight, that there are going to be times in Acts that you think, um, oh, I don't quite get this about the Holy Spirit. But just rest assured that when Paul started teaching in the churches and writing his letters to his, to his churches, he made sure we knew that the Holy Spirit was given to us on the day of our salvation, and we now can live in fullness with his Spirit. But we have to choose to let him, because the Holy Spirit, like Jesus, is a gentleman, and he will not push his way on us. We have to desire to walk with him and listen to him and obey him. So when he said, for John the Baptist baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, what's the difference between a water baptism and um, the Holy Spirit baptism? Now, for many of you, you were baptized with water. And John the Baptist could only baptize with water. That was the extent, that was the, his, the limit. So baptism is a sign, it's a symbol of what, what has happened. And that is that we have, we have died to our own self and our sins, and we have come out of the water, new life in Christ. So it's a symbol of the washing away of our sins and being made alive in Jesus. But John the Baptist, Baptist could only do it symbolically. And so the baptism, it was like this, it was showing whoever was watching, not only for the person that it was happening to, but also for the people that were watching, that you love Jesus and you're proud of it and you want the world to know. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that only Jesus can do. Because the word baptism means immersed, means covered over. It means that you soak up I looked up those. I looked up words to see what it meant, and and when I saw words like, when I saw words like immersed and and absorbed and covered over, and soak up. See, the Holy Spirit does His work from the inside. See, John the Baptist was symbolic, and it was a visual on the outside. 
But when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you are immersed in Jesus and it changes your heart. And that what's in your heart that comes out and then affects your outside. So kind of to maybe put it simple, John the Baptist's baptism affected the outside. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit changes your inside. So there, there is quite a bit of difference. Now, so when, when they met together, as we go on in verse 6, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Boy, they're still, they won't let that go, will they? They, they, still, they still want Jesus, now that he's alive again, now, okay, tell those Romans, because look at you have, you have died and you, have, you are now alive. Now that ought to do something. Now go to those Romans and get us out of this, this control from the Romans. You set up your kingdom here. Restore the kingdom of Israel so we can, we can be a whole. We don't have to be controlled by these Romans. Because after all, look who you are. So these still, I mean, this is how self and our human nature is so right there. We still want to be comfortable. We still want everything going our way. We still don't want to suffer. We want to have it all easy. So even after all what they've been through, after all what they've seen, they still want Jesus to make life easy. And Jesus didn't come to make our lives easy here. And he's going to answer. I just loved the way he answered them. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. I know my, my words here would be, um, it's not your business. He has the authority to call the shots. He has the authority to do what he wants when he wants it. And I want you to just let it be. I mean, there are times, I'm sure, in your life just as well as mine, is that I want an explanation right now. I want a reason why this is happening. I think you owe me that. And, you know, I'm almost embarrassed to think sometimes, even though I might not say it out loud, I might be thinking it, so I might as well say it out loud. We, we have to remember how he knows our heart and he knows what, what we're thinking, he knows what we're going to say before we even say it. And there are times that I think we second-guess the Lord's plan and his will because it doesn't fit ours. And these, and these, even though they're called apostles now, they still are human beings and they fall into that trap. But I want it easy. And Jesus is going to have to tell them. He tried telling them when he was alive, you know, and he did. He said, "It's you know, it's not going to be easy." But and I think I think you and I know too that the Christian walk is not an easy one. But yet we still want it easy. So Jesus kind of has to remind them again that no, 
No, I told you many times that it is not. Look how they treat me. Look what, look what they're doing to me. And when you're a follower of mine, you know, but just keep in mind, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And that's even more serious, I think. So Jesus reminds them that, that God's the boss and he can determine what, when, and where. But then in verse 8, he comes back and says, but I can tell you something for sure. That you will not be sent out alone. Look at how he says it, but you will. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will. See, no one likes to be told, um, no, you can't, or no, I'm not going to tell you. But Jesus comes back and, and understands his guys so well. He understands his, his little core group there, and he, he knows that they don't quite understand it all. So he makes sure, he says, okay, now you're not going to know that, but this is what you can know. You can know that you will receive power to do your job through his Holy Spirit. I will be in you in the form of the Holy Spirit. This is where you see the Trinity again. How God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit work so beautifully together. Sometimes I just say, I have God living in me. Because that's true. You can say that too. And, and have you, if you've listened, did you listen last week? Did you listen last week to Psalm 46? When, when I said, you know, sometimes you just got to stop and you've got to take a look at who is God to me? How big is he in my life? What all do I really believe about him? And so we stopped for a few minutes even and talked about God. And then I went to the second word, is. God is. No doubt, no question. God is my refuge and my strength. And he is ever-present in this time of trouble. I can't tell you how many times that has come to my mind. I think Psalm 46 is going to be one of those portions of scripture that did a major change on me. Because when I'm tempted to not understand or then um, maybe I feel the worry and the fear and I, and I have a few questions and maybe even a doubt this past week, since I really got a handle on that, God is my refuge and strength and he's ever present. Therefore, we will, I will not fear. Even though the mountains fall into the sea and the earth gives way, there is nothing that should shake me. And this is what he wants them to know. The Holy Spirit will help you recall what you've learned. And now that I have learned Psalm 46, I have a whole different way of 
dealing because the Holy Spirit, if I'm willing to listen, the Holy Spirit, at least this past week, I just watched him. I just heard him bring that sound back to me. And what a difference. Remember last week when we said, it's like, oh, that's right. Oh my goodness, how far off track I got. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And this is what he's telling his newly appointed apostles. This is something I can tell you for sure. That you will be given the power. You'll be given the strength. And it's, it won't be of you. But it will be from my spirit living in you. And you will be. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the world, to the ends of the earth. Do you know what that means? I know we can quote it because we've heard it so many times. But he's basically saying to these apostles, to these people, because there's there's other people involved here, and he's saying the same thing to you and me. Every one of you, I don't care what kind of personality, if you're shy and quiet, or if you're type A and you have no problem being in front of people, it doesn't matter. When you've come to the cross of Christ and you know what you've been saved from, you will then, because now you have the very Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, and he will give you enough refuge and strength and courage that's what his job is, so that what? We can have the power and the boldness to be his witnesses, maybe in our little, in our home. Because I look at Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to, the, uh, to the, the ends of the earth. I mean, sometimes he uses this just right in our homes. Sometimes he branches us out to Judea, to our neighborhoods. And then maybe he branches some of us out to, to the community, to our city, to, I mean, he'll place us where he, he wants us. Or maybe he'll take you to the ends of the earth. You think of how many missionaries have been, have been willing to go wherever God calls. Are you willing? Are, am I willing? Are we willing to go where God calls us? whether it be to Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, or to the ends of the earth. Because he's got a plan for each and every one of us. Even though he might take us to different places, the plan is the same, that we can be his witnesses. That we can share from our own life what we can tell our story. See, just like Luke is trying to tell Theophilus, because he doesn't want Theophilus to miss this. He doesn't want him to miss Jesus. Luke writes after this in verse 9, After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. See, he did enough investigating, and someone told him exactly what happened. Verse 10, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. 
In other words, he's saying, you're watching him go up. Well, guess what? He's going to come back down. Be rest assured that he is coming back down. Now, I just wrote in little parentheses there. I wrote Revelation 19. I think by now you know how much I love that book. Because Revelation 19 describes how Jesus is going to come back. Now, the thing is, he might come back the same way. I mean, coming from, from as, as he now is going from down to up, he's going to come from up to down. But Revelation 19, it's got him coming on a white horse. Remember how when Jesus went into Jerusalem right before, it's called the triumphant entry. And yes, it was triumphant that he was going to the cross for you and I, but it wasn't triumphant because he knew the same people that were shouting Hosanna were going to crucify him. And he rode a donkey because it was a symbol of peace. He was coming to bring salvation to lost people. But in Revelation 19, it is all over and it is too late. And he's coming on a white horse and he is coming and that is symbolic of war. And he is coming to rid this world of all evil. I just, I just love when, when you're studying scripture and then you just watch the Holy Spirit help you recall what you've learned. And then you go find it and there was a whole another whole never another story. See, there's always something. This book is so exciting. Well, then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. I think some of you are catching on to what Bible study is all about. Because I bet there's not too many of you that just let that go. I bet you had to look it up somehow, some way. What in the world does a Sabbath's walk mean? At least I'm hoping you get to that. Because if you've got a question, you want to know, what, what does that mean? And, of course, it's, if you looked it up, you found it's five-eighths of a mile. In other words, on the Sabbath, people weren't supposed to walk very far. And so... Luke learned from his investigating that they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives where Jesus had ascended from. And it was a Sabbath day, so it wasn't a long walk. That's all really Luke is saying, that it wasn't a long walk. It was only five-eighths of a mile back to the city. And when they arrived... They went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And those present were, see in here again, he had asked enough questions to find out that those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, son of James. Making sure you know it's not Judas Iscariot. There were two Judases in this. So that's 11. That's 11 disciples. And then they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women 
and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Boy, that, wouldn't you just love to be a part of that group? Well, that was quite a group. And wouldn't you just love to have heard, if this is the case, Mary saying to Luke when he's asking, who is in that room anyway? Oh, let me tell you about that group. Because whoever was telling him said after that, in those days, Peter stood up. He stood up among the believers. A group numbering about 120. And he, he said he kind of took charge. But I also went back to John chapter 20. Because... In this particular chapter, I remember when we studied John, that, just listen to this, John 20, verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, this was after Jesus arose, but they didn't, they didn't, I mean, they, this still was a shock, you know. So they were still fearful of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven, them, for they are not forgiven. And I remember when we did that, I remember that that can, can cause confusion because Jesus... Jesus breathed on them. Remember when, when a human being was made, what do you read in Genesis? When Adam was created, God breathed in him the breath of life. See, God gives life. And now when he, when he puts his Holy Spirit into us, he breathes into us his life. It's like a second time he breathes. The first time so we can physically live, but the second time so that we can spiritually live. And he breathed on them the breath of the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit, he says. And he is pretty much saying, because they can't actually forgive sins. Only Jesus can forgive sins. But he's saying, now my spirit lives within you. And when you tell somebody that their sins can be forgiven and they respond to the gospel, guess what? It worked. But maybe he was also saying, but if you don't tell them, they're not going to know and then they won't be forgiven. So it does show the responsibility again that with the Holy Spirit working inside of us and when he uses us to be the mouthpiece of this gospel story, he is saying, my Holy Spirit will give you the power and the courage to do it. 
And if you tell somebody that they can be forgiven through the blood of Christ, it can happen. So I kind of was looking at that. Now, when Peter stood up, so did those did those 11 receive the Holy Spirit before Pentecost? I can't say for sure, but it sure looked like Peter was a take charge. He was not a bit afraid to stand up and say, hey, you know what? There's an elephant in the room here. And someone's, we've got to deal with it. There's only 11 of us. I know there was 120, but he was talking about the 11 disciples now turned apostles. So he, with all confidence, the Holy Spirit helped him recall a psalm of David. Because he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. See, it was, this was, a, I'm sure, a subject they did not want to talk about. Because I'm sure they were still broken. That one of them, because he even went on to say in verse 7, he was one, or 17, he was one of our number and shared in this ministry. So you can, you can almost hear Peter saying, we've got to deal with this. I know we don't like to talk about it. But he, he didn't spare any words, did he? It just shows that it can happen. It shows that there can be people who are diligently coming to church every Sunday, even, even following all the protocol, their life looks spotless. It looks like they are just the best followers of Christ. I mean, Judas had them all fooled, everybody but Jesus, of course. But he had everybody else fooled. And so Peter says, you know what, we got to talk about this. We got to deal with this. He was one of our number, and he shared in this ministry Verse 18, with the reward he got for his wickedness. Wow. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Now I'm reading that and I think, you know, that's a little more than I care to know. However, Dr. Luke, that was intriguing to Dr. Luke. And it just, to me, solidifies the writer of this particular book. Because these kinds of things matter to him, these kinds of details. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language, Ekaldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. And also, may another take his place of leadership. So the Holy Spirit was working in Peter, saying, let's deal with this. 
but also there has to be another that will take his place. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time. The Lord Jesus went in and out among us. We need, here, here was the, how do, you, how do you say it? This, this is the job description, but no, not the job description, but we need someone um, that is going to have to have been with us following Jesus, seeing this, this is the only thing. It's kind of like when, 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 well, we'll get to that too, how the deacons were picked. But you know, a resume, you always, we always want big resumes and that'll be more impressive. But this resume, this resume, all we want is someone who has been there, has seen it, so has had the proof so that they can say with confidence, I saw, I heard. That was the only resume. So therefore it's necessary we choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. See, there were more disciples than just the twelve I mean, we know when you study the Gospels, you know that, that we, we hear about the other disciples. There's some that, that decided to walk away when things got too convicting. And all. But disciple is anyone who, choose, who chose to follow Christ. A disciple was anybody who chose to follow Christ. And, and they wanted somebody who had been there already at the time of John the Baptist all the way to when Jesus was taken up. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Because remember, they're taking this story to the world. I mean, we have now, we've got, we've got God's word in that, but they're, they're taking this message brand spanking new to Judea. Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And they had to, how, how were anybody going to believe him? How was anybody going to respond to this outlandish story? And we're going to see that the Holy Spirit's going to be doing some mighty big things through these apostles. Because this is brand new, and they needed proof. But their biggest proof was that they could say, I saw it. I was there. So they proposed two men, Joseph and Barsabbas, also known as Justice and Matthias. Then they prayed. Then they prayed. And you know, that word prayer comes up in this. Because again, back in, in the 14th verse, they all joined together constantly in prayer. If you have the lessons, one of the questions was, how is that even possible to constantly be in prayer? 
when you have a mindset that prayer is when you close your eyes and fold your hands and you talk to God, how can you constantly be in prayer? See, you've got to get beyond those those stifled definitions because prayer is not just when you close your eyes and fold your hands and you talk to God, whether at mealtime or bedtime or whatever. Paul says that we are to pray ceaselessly. Verse 14 says that they were constantly in prayer. And then to pick which two, two men they prayed. Prayer is an attitude. I think it's an attitude of submission. You want to connect to the one you want to control you. That's why it's got to be constant. Prayer is that connection that you have with the Holy Spirit in your inner spirit. And you are submitting, you are submitting to the Holy Spirit. That's what real prayer is. When you are, when you are connected through prayer, no wonder it's never supposed to stop because then the Holy Spirit has the, has the opportunity to be able to show you how what the Lord does what he promises. He'll meet your needs. He'll give you comfort in the middle of your storm. He'll build a relationship with you that will get stronger and stronger as you get to know him. Prayer helps you resist temptation even when it's right in your face. This connection through prayer shows you your sin and you want to get rid of it and you confess. This connection through prayer will give you clear direction because you, you're trusting him with all your heart and he will direct your path. That's why this group was in constant prayer. There was a lot of questions they wondered what the Lord Jesus was going to have them do next. You know, you and I should be wondering the same thing. We should be wondering what the Lord Jesus is going to do and how he's going to use us next. So when you read, they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. That should make you just stop and say, oh, that's right. That should check you again as a reminder, you know my heart. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us, show us which of these two you have chosen. You know, that this is what the Lord wants. He doesn't want us making decisions on our own. He knows that we don't have clear direction that way. That's why you learn what prayer is. You stay connected to him and his spirit. That's one of the Holy Spirit's jobs through prayer is to show you and I and to guide us into our next move. Because you know everyone's heart and you know how you're going to use everyone. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry. Boy, what does apostle mean? What does that big word apostolic mean? It means a sent out mission ministry. I am not going to stay taking this all in only, but I'm taking it in so that it works through me and I can be sent out to share this message to people that need to hear 
and even even good church people because what we are going through right now, people are worried and they're scared and they have questions and they even have doubts. This is not a part, that kind of behavior is not a part of the Lord's plan for us. He wants us to know that he will give us the strength through the power of his Holy Spirit because you just read it with me. You might not know everything of what the Lord's going to do. You might not know all of the Lord's plans and when it's going to happen and how. But one thing you can know is that you will be given power through the Holy Spirit to be able to witness that God is who he is. And Jesus is the Savior. And that never changes didn't you just love last week too? Now that you know the word, the word Selah, there's certain things that I've said this week and I've even said Selah. So that, in other words, forever, amen, it will not change. You talk about a confident way to live when you're living in a shaken world. So, he says, then, then they left, then, then, they, then they cast lots. I better not miss. I know you, you probably would have loved it if I did miss this, but I can't. When Peter said, and when Peter prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart, show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. I hope that sense chills up your spine. Again, you can not read the book of Revelation without reading Revelation 19 and 20 and hearing about hell is going to be opened. And everyone who does, does not believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord who doesn't take that humbling walk to the cross. I mean, it, is, it just says it. But there again, Luke writes these works because he was told that, and I think, I, I'm, I don't think, I know. I know Luke believes it. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And we determine as we have breath on this earth, where we're going to spend eternity. The choice that was made, the choice Judas made, and, and I think Luke wants Theophilus to know too, is that you can't play around with this. You can't just assume that because you're a good person, and you've got everybody fooled. I mean, Judas had everybody fooled, like I said. Except Jesus. But then his, his consequence. His consequence with game playing got him to the place where he belonged. Ugh. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. A lot of people don't like that. Cast lots. It's gambling. You know, I well, I witnessed that myself. In in one of my son's churches, 
they to get their leadership to their their board, their consistory, their elders and their deacons. They they have a nomination. And then they put all the the nominees in in a basket. And then they pray over it and they believe what that the Lord knows everyone's heart. Show us of those two you have chosen to take over. They put the rest in God's hands. And I, I remember watching that, and that was, it was so spiritual. Because then the ones whose names were picked out, they just felt that they were called of God. It wasn't just some popularity contest, but they were called of God. And I think this group of 120, I think they are humbled and I think as they're picking Judas's replacement, they are humbled. They know that they've been called of God to give this gospel to the world. That is not fluff. That isn't something we take seriously. That isn't something that we that we don't take seriously. We better take it seriously. God has a call on every one of us. The lot fell to Matthias. And so he was added to the 11 apostles. And you know what? You don't, you don't hear what was the other one's name. Joseph. Barsabbas. You didn't hear him say, Oh no, how come I wasn't picked? See, when you are men of, when you are, men or women of God, and you entrust your life into God's hand, into his will. Oh, there might be disappointments if you wanted something, maybe a job or, or a position or whatever. But see, again, it all fits into the same. If your life hasn't gone the way you really wanted it and you didn't get certain things are we kicking and screaming and shaking our fists at God? Or are we men and women of God saying, I trust your will and your plan, even if I don't understand it? You know, he, he can send us out into our little part of the world. And there isn't a one of us that should not desire to be labeled one of his witnesses. Just sheer by the fact of what he did for you, you just can't help but tell. I love to tell the story. It will be my theme and glory because my story is the only reason that I am in glory. To tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Father in heaven, thank you for allowing us to have a story because we didn't deserve it. But because of Jesus, because of his suffering, but yet he rose again and he's back in his proper place and we now have been given your very spirit to be the power source so that we can be witnesses. Do we love you enough to be able to tell your story. Because there are ears that need to hear. People need the Lord. And are we 
Are we willing enough to be the ones that can tell? And we pray this all in our Savior's name who makes life so worth living. Amen.